All right, we are in a series um, called Oktoberfest, and it's about reuniting in the good things of God. And today, um, I want to talk on this thought, reunited, it feels so good to have joy again. Man, if you ever lose your joy and you get it back, you know what I mean. It feels so good to have joy again. We are using a portion of, of the Psalms. They're called the Songs of Ascents, Going Up Higher. And uh, if you've been with us at any other part of the series, you know that there was a segment of songs, Psalms, called the Songs of Ascents, and they were used, they were written probably after the 70-year uh, captivity that, that the Jewish people ha had suffered away from ho their homeland in Babylon. And during that time, they, they began to aspire going back home again and the promises of God about that. And, uh, and, uh, and, and then they were able to do so, and, and they, they wrote these songs of celebration. And so three times a year, they were able to start again to come back to celebrate God as he had commanded them to do so before the captivity. Three times a year, two festivals in the spring, Passover and Pentecost. Passover was about redemption, Pentecost about the beginning of the harvest. And then in the fall, there would be another feast. The Day of Atonement began with the Feast of Trumpets and end with the Feast of Tabernacles when they celebrated, once again, God's faithfulness to them throughout their lives and to mark the end of the harvest. There's a lot of prophetic meaning in there, and I don't have time to go in there. We'll get into that another time. The point I'm trying to make is that the church is to be a, pe a people of celebration, not just a place, but a people. And we're going to continue to look at these psalms. You know, these are the songs Jesus sang. Think about that. We are going to read a psalm that was a song that Jesus, I'm sure, sang. So I want to ask you to stand one more time. One more time. Stand. Psalm 126 from the NIV. This is a song of ascents. And can I hear you read the word out loud? I love hearing you sing. Can you read the word with me out loud? Let's go. Verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Can you say that one again? The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to escape the chains of spiritual darkness and come into the liberating light, the light of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he or she that the son sets free is free indeed. And in that freedom, we are blessed, Lord, as we find out about this blessing, we pray that everybody will have faith to not only believe but to receive in order to live in the joy you long for us to experience. And may the Holy Spirit, may you, Holy Spirit, produce this joy in hearts today, all because of Jesus and his finished work. We give him praise and ask in his name. Everyone said Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. 
reunited and it feels so good to have joy again. They came back from captivity, 70 years. That's way longer than I've been alive. Imagine your whole life long being in captivity. Imagine that. You know, most of the people that read the Bible uh, during the time it was written were people who were living in captivity and slaves. Yeah. We read it from a completely different context, and I wonder sometime if we actually get it. Slaves wrote it, and slaves read it. 70 years from home, away from the temple gathering, promises from God seem meaningless, buried, if you will. It was like their hope had a funeral a long time back, and their perspective had completely changed. And here's what they did not know, that while they were in captivity, they were in the center of the will of God, and prophecy was continuing to unfold itself, because the God who told them they would go in also told them he'd bring them out. Aren't you glad for that? You know how it happened? How it happened? God raised up a king. Now let's jump way ahead and talk about us. The truth, that, the truth about us is this too. We didn't realize, we didn't realize that in our life, in our life before Christ, we lived in bondage. We lived without hope. If we had any kind of joy, it was mostly superficial at best. Our perspective was poisoned and polluted by the false promises that the world offers to us. And we bought into the lie I remember one of the moments in my life as a 17-year-old kid sitting in a pub, underage, but I got in. I don't know how. I still wouldn't be, I still look too young to get in. But anyway, but I remember sitting there and looking around the room and the Holy Spirit made me miserable and I looked around and I said to myself, this world is as phony as a $3 bill. 17-year-old kid. A lot of people don't know it. Buying into the lie. But while we were like sheep going astray, bound by darkness, separated from God, from hope and life, God raised up a king, amen? Jesus came into the world, that's right. Jesus came into the darkness. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. He set the believer free. A real emancipation took place on Calvary's hill. And God raised up Jesus from the grave. He ascended on high. Jesus takes our captivity captive and sets us free to live light in darkness. He calls us to be reunited with him, reunited with his father, reunited with the purpose of God for our lives as individuals and together, and reunited with one another. Aren't you glad we can reunite with one another? Isaiah, centuries before Jesus was born, saw the work of Jesus, and he described it like this. Then the redeemed of the Lord will return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They'll obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. What a thought. Joy. Joy. Reunited and it feels so good to live in the joy of the Lord. The hope of the gospel is this. First thing the angel said, I bring you good news of a great joy. And it's not even Christmas. We can say that verse. I bring you good news of a great joy which will be for all the people. Right? Joy. In this psalm we just read, joy is mentioned over and over and over again. I read this song and I think, oh, the joy. The Hebrew word is renach. Renach, say it, the ending. <laughs> yeah, the Hebrews had this interesting way of pronouncing the H thing. Renach, what it means is it's a joy that's expressed beyond limitation. 
And that word is used over and over and over in the psalm. Not just a little bit of joy, but an expression that's beyond limits. It describes a joy that a singing spirit would become more frequent than having no song at all in your life. It's a joy that's detected in the mannerisms of your mouth, where your speech content is filled with words of faith and happiness. Can you imagine such a thing? Joy in our singing and joy in our speaking. Renach, it's a joy like a great dream you have at night. So cool. And then you wake up and you're so bummed. Have you ever tried to go back to sleep and catch some more of your dream before? I've done that so many times. Only you wish you could go back to it, but you can't. And what this passage says, God, this isn't a dream, this is real. Renach, a real joy. You're not dreaming. It's real. That's what this song is about. How do we live, how do we live in that kind of joy? Well, it unfolds in this psalm. Listen to, the, listen to verse number three in a minute. There is a joy, this Renach, it comes from realizing. Can you say the word realizing? It comes from realizing. That means, that means, that means we see what the Spirit shows us and faith rises up inside. Joy comes from seeing, we realize something. And we see what the Spirit shows us. And then faith rises up inside. Verse three tells us, look it says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. You have to know it. The Lord, I love your Catalyst shirt by the way, just saw that. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. This is a kind of joy that we can't work up, but it's a kind of joy the Holy Spirit works in. How? He shows us, he shows us something he wants us to receive. And that brings us to the second R. Joy comes from seeing and it also comes from receiving. We, we, we not only see it, but we seize it. We see it, but then we have to seize it. We seize what we see, and we make it ours. We take hold of what the Spirit shows us. We make it our own. We personalize the promise of God. That's, you know that's what the Father wants us to do? There's this, 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 this sermon that I wrote, it triggered a memory I had of a, of a movie I love. It's called Waking Ned Divine. Have anyone ever, ever watched the movie Waking Ned Divine? Yeah? Any of you love British humor? Listen, if you love British humor, you'll love Waking Ned Divine. If you hate British humor, you won't love it. I loved it. Anyway, it's this story, these, these old fellows in, in, in Ireland, and, and they have a like Powerball lottery, and uh, they, 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 wanna, they buy tickets, they want to win, right, and they want to, you know, like 95 million bucks or whatever it is, and Ned's this old guy, he's like late 80s, and him and his buddies who hang out in the pub, they all buy lottery tickets, and they know each other's number, and they're waiting for the announcement, so as they're sitting in the pub, all of them are sitting in the pub except Ned, he's at home. Ned's at home and he's watching on telly. It's, in, it's, Irish, it's an Irish movie, so they said telly. And he's, and he's watching on telly. And they read the number and everybody in the pub knows Ned just won the lottery, right? So his buddy goes over on his scooter. He's an 80-year-old guy. The movie is worth it just to watch this old 80-year-old guy riding a scooter over to Ned's house. When he gets to Ned's house, Ned is sitting in his lazy boy, with his eyes as big as saucers, with a big smile on his face, holding a lottery ticket in his hand, but Ned is dead. 
The joy of winning the lottery killed Ned. <laughs> it's funny. He's like, he's dead. And so his buddy does what you do. He steals Ned's lottery ticket. <laughs> and he makes it his own. And then the, then, the, then the story just really begins. It's a great story. Plus, there's a scene of this ugly naked guy riding a scooter, and that'll kill you dead laughing. But anyway, but if, and, but if you don't like British humor, you won't, you, you won't get it. Here's the difference between Ned and you and me. The blessings of the Lord won't kill us. The blessings of the Lord will make us rich. The blessings of the Lord raise us up from the dead. We don't have to think it robbery or wrong to seize what God so willingly wants us to experience, the joy of the Lord. The Gospel of John says it like this, from his fullness we receive fullness. From his fullness we receive one blessing after another. We receive what Jesus has come to give us. The contrast of that, the contrast of this song, man, it's like a dream come true. Joy filling my mouth and my heart. The contrast was written before this event. In Psalm 137, you see how the people had felt before that. While they were in captivity, it says, along Babylon's rivers, we sat on the banks and we cried and we cried where our captors demanded songs, but we had stacked our harps away. And sarcastically mocking, they said, sing us a happy Zion song. And they answer, how can we ever sing God's song in a land of bondage? Horrific. But sometimes when you feel like you're in that, you don't realize that God is still unfolding a purpose for your life. And God was unfolding a purpose for these people who had hung up their heart harps and thought they sang their last song. God was working. Isaiah told them so. Jeremiah told them, pointed to a day when God would raise up a king and break the chains of their bondage. That was Cyrus. Isaiah prophesied about this king, Persian king. He didn't even know God. He didn't even know God. And God said, I will raise him up and call him my anointed. You can read about it in Isaiah 44 and 45. And he would be used, this Persian king who ruled over all powers, rose up and gave a declaration that the Jewish people could back of their homeland and he would build their temple for them and pay for it. God is not limited by our view of God. A king rose up. And this psalm is describing this joy of a new promise. Never thought it would ever happen to me again. I won the lottery with the kingdom of God. And it didn't kill me. And nobody can steal it unless I give it to them. Where does this joy come from? It comes not only from receiving, it comes from releasing. Verse two, it says we say, we sing, and we shout. Some of us say and some of us sing. Not many shout. But we're allowed to shout the Bible says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So we can. We can shout. Releasing. Joy comes from releasing. The praises that come 
from seizing the promises of God. First we possess it, then we release it. Look what it says in verse one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the people who don't know God, the goim is the Hebrew, nations, or the unsaved, that's how we'd say it, or the unchurched perhaps. They said, because they heard, they said, remember last week we talked about the woman who heard of Jesus? She said, if I just touch the hem of his garment. Well, there's another group of people wanting to see happy Christians. Joy-filled Christians. And they said, they said, the Lord has done great things for them. Why is it so important to release it? So they can see it. What a witness. I saw a picture of a sign outside of an executive's door and it said this, everyone brings joy to this office, some when they enter and some when they leave. <laughs> Serving people with joy is a powerful magnet. You know, you go through that one place that's closed on Sunday. You know what I'm talking about? Last week I was riding after church and I rode by that place that's closed on Sunday. And I wanted a sweet tea so bad. I rode by there going, near, far, wherever. Anyway, I had to wait another day. Even Gandhi, even Gandhi knew about the powerful magnet that joy-filled serving brings. Gandhi said, service which is rendered without joy helps neither the servant nor the served. But all other pleasures and possessions pale in nothing, into nothingness before service which is rendered in a spirit of joy. Joy comes from releasing praises in song, in sayings, and shouts to God. Also comes in releasing something else, and that's tears. Verse five, those who sow with tears, promise, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Sow means to plant. And reaping means you, something comes up out of the ground. Something comes up in life. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Tears of joy. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by how good people have been to you that you just get misty? You get something in your eye? You cry, but are tears of thankfulness, joy, tears of joy. But have you ever been so overwhelmed with how good God's been to you and you look out at others and realize they're missing it and it breaks your heart and you have tears for broken and lost people? You know one of the things that's gonna amaze us in heaven someday? We're going to be amazed someday over there when we see that every tear we ever shed, tears of joy, every tear of, of prayer for those that we love that need what we have and they don't have it, have, has been kept and treasured by our Father in heaven. Everyone says that. It says it in the Bible. And they've been kept with more intensity, Mom, than you've kept every paper since kindergarten and every picture you've ever taken of your babies 
or your grandbabies. Have I told you I'm a grandfather? Actually, I'm two in and I'm on my way to three, baby. And the due date's somewhere in November, but I'm rolling for Halloween. <laughs> Come on now. Tears of joy because we see people come home to God. Tears of joy because we see people come home to God. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What a picture. Listen, tears of empathy. You feel the captivity of somebody else because you remember your chains. You feel the captivity of others because you feel the joy given to you undeservedly. And you feel what it's like to know they don't know. We weep over broken families that produce lonely couples, yield hurting kids torn between the divide of two. We weep over young people fearful they will have to grow up wondering if they matter because they don't get enough likes or friend requests. We weep over injustice we weep over black people who've been treated unjustly for no reason other than the color of their skin. We weep for police officers' families whose spouses will never come back into that door after work. We weep over parents who have sons that can't stop their cocaine habit And it's going to keep them from having a fruitful life and keep them from getting their scholarship and keep them from playing sports and keep them from getting married someday. And we weep over people who can't stop their addiction. We weep over young kids who are in such pain they'd rather leave this world than find their purpose in this world. Those who sow seeds of tears... Whose tears get recorded and captured in heaven? Ours. We have to sow them. And we only sow them when our emotions get triggered by something God feels. You are so filled that you can't sit back and watch captives struggle. You have such joy from Jesus, like Zacchaeus. Hey, listen, from now on, I'm giving it back out. So filled that it breaks our hearts to know there are not only multitudes in the world who don't have what we have, but friends up the street don't. People in our class don't. People in our family don't. People in our Facebook group, they don't. And it makes us Weep. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Reaping. Hey, hey. 
Imagine. The, the new hot word now is reimagine. Do you, have you notice that yet? Keep your eye, you hear it everywhere. Everything's going to be reimagining. But this is real. Reimagine this. Imagine everyone in this room doubling your harvest. Not for money, like some preachers preach. There's some people who preach this harvest thing and it's all about money back to you. Give and you get. This is not about that. The Pentecostal blessing is about the harvest of souls, not you getting a better house. Anyways, imagine doubling the harvest. Imagine every person in this room having at least one new believer freed from the chains of hell, filled with the joy that you have in your life because you prayed and you didn't give up and you wept and God moved. How many of you are still listening to me? The first time I saw this with my own eyes, I was 18 years old, a Sunday night service at a church that our family attended at the time. We went to Sunday night as well. And there was a Sunday night, I was a kid, I had just gotten saved. I, I, my life was like a, a Dixie cup under Niagara Falls with Jesus. That's what my life was like then. So I was all about it. And I was sitting there on a Sunday night and there was a buzz in the sanctuary, a buzz. And what I mean by that, everybody was talking about something. I'm like, what's going on? And I understood that someone's son was there and hadn't been there for a very long time. I didn't exactly know what that meant until the end of the service. When the pastor finished the sermon, there was a big, burly, rough-looking, uh, Duck Dynasty kind of dude with mean written over his face. And they offered people an opportunity to come to Jesus, and I saw this big, burly, rough-looking dude come barreling down to the altar, weeping like a little boy, crying his eyes out. And he leaned over the railing and put all his weight there and just poured his repentant heart out at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. His elderly parents began to leave their seat and walk up and get behind him. Picture it. Weeping as they came. Praising God. They went, that went on for a while and everybody just watched. The whole sanctuary... I looked around and people who had known the backstory, they were weeping. I was in awe. I was literally in awe because I heard the story. You know what the story was? He was their lost son. Isn't it something when you see somebody else's kid get blessed by God? Isn't it something when you see somebody else's son come home from the bondages of darkness? But this, what about if it was yours? And you had prayed, and you had prayed, and you had prayed, and you had prayed, and nothing was changing, and nothing was changing in years and years. I'm talking from shine kids to hell until you're about 30-some years old. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you give up praying probably, and then you start praying again, and then you give up again, you think, and the devil says, never, never, I'll never let him go. And he shows up, uninvited, on a Sunday night. Those who sow seeds of tears 
I watched Jesus wash that man out. You know what? He was gloriously saved, filled with the Spirit of God, and went into the ministry from there. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. I told my son Devin a long time ago, put him and him to sleep, going to hanging out with him while he would go off into La La Land back when he was like Zeke's age. There's a lot of things I remember too, I really remember, is one time Devin looked over at me like that and he said, let's get some shut-eye, hound dog, like that. And I thought that was the most funniest thing I ever heard in my life. <laughs> and, uh, but this other time I was talking to him about prayer and I said, you know what, Dev? Me and my buddies went out in the woods without permission and we wanted to chop down this great big gigantic tree, giant tree, about 50 feet up. We thought we'd get a sharp axe and chop that baby down and presto, chain, cho, boom. But man, hours later, blisters all over all of us. So that thing's never gonna come down. But we didn't give up, bam, bam, bam. And finally, one more. And that big old joker came barreling down, busting through. And then we thought, we never got permission for this. And then we ran as fast as lightning out of those woods before anybody said, who in the world? Anyway, that's the whole thing. But I said, Dev, praying is like chopping down a tree. And sometimes you pray a long time and you never think it's gonna work. But listen, sometimes it's just one more chop. Just one more. And that thing is gonna fall. That's what this passage means. We pray, we shed tears over the fact that we have people we love and we know they don't know what they're missing and we've talked and we've talked and we've talked but there's a moment when the Spirit of God just talks. People are dying inside. Others will die the way they've lived and then forever will start. And that, we don't think about that enough. If we've never cried over that, we definitely have not thought about that enough. If we can preach on judgment on a nation without tears, we should never preach on judgment. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Those who sow seeds of tears will weep for the lost, weep for their friends, weep for their family. God will hear. I love this verse. Jesus said it himself. Listen, guys, there is more joy in the presence of angels over one sinner who turns to Jesus than over a 100 righteous people who need no repentance. Would you stand with me, please? I want you to pray this out loud and proclaim it. Would you, with me, let's say, this is from the Passion Translation, I love this. All the voice, all the voices. Here we go, ready? Now, Lord, do it again. Would you raise your hands to God? They, they, they go on to say, uh, bring it like, like streams in the Negev, in the desert. Bring your blessing. Does America, does Western civilization, does the world need, come on now. Does the world need God to do it again? 
Come on, would you say it out loud now, Lord? Say it to him. Lord, come on, say it. Read the rest, I want to hear you. Stop. Now read it to God as you would if calamity was about to hit the country. Read it that way this time. Come on. Here's the promise. Verse, next verse. Those, come on, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out, carrying their seed to sow, but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessings and a harvest overflowing. Joy comes from realizing. We see it receiving. We seize it. We take hold of it. Releasing shouts and songs and sayings and tears, and tears, tears of joy, tears of wanting to see people. Hey, listen, I don't know. I don't know when I'll go there. I don't know when I'll go through that gate. I hope my little Yorkie Brinkley boy's there waiting on me. I bet he will be with a tennis ball in his mouth, dropping it right at my feet like he did every day. My dad's going to be there. My dad. My dad was only 62 years old when he walked from this life into the presence of Jesus. The last time I saw him alive on earth, he was right there, kneeling on his knees on a Sunday night, praying to his God. I want to see him right there. I want to see my grandma's there. I want to see my friend Tommy James who died of a brain tumor in his 20s. And the last thing he said to me is, was I'll save you a seat at the table. Come on now. You haven't forgotten about heaven, have you? One day, we're going to be on that golden shore and I want to see all you there. I think of all my friends and all my family. Think of all your friends and all your family. People we've met along the way. We look for God. You know what we need to do? We need to look for God moments. We need to listen for the Spirit. Because we might be that person in that moment that answers the prayer of that mom, that dad, that uncle, that aunt, that brother, that sister. And oh, the joy. Oh, the joy of God saying, Hey, Tim, all the people that you had a personal personal impact that brought them here. Here they come. Here they come. Get in a circle together. And you, all the people that because you prayed and gave and lived. Here they come. How many you want? How many? How big of a lottery ticket do you want to win that's forever? Those who sow with seeds of tears will reap in joy and carry those bundles of people with them. Lord, oh Jesus, thank you for saving my soul. 
Thank you for when I was a little boy somehow getting through all the other stuff that got through. You got the manger scene through. You got the cross scene through. You got the, the John 3.16 thing through. And even when I'd be out with my friends running around and just lost as a, as, a, as, a, as a fence post, something would speak in my heart. Something would call my name. Something would stir inside of me. Thank you for giving me a grace to take a step out of a seat and stand in the middle while in front of everyone when no one else came on a Sunday morning and a kiss a kid and come to an altar and get underneath that fountain of life. Thank you, God, for my mom and my dad that got me up to go to church. Thank you that my dad grabbed me by my ankles and pulled me to my butt, hit the floor, and said, get dressed, boy, you're going to church, like it or not. That's the morning I gave my heart to Jesus. Heavenly Father, all over this room, I pray the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God would say what He wants to say, do what He wants to do, shake what He wants to shake, shape what He wants to shape in every believer's life and in our church. We give you praise for it, right? In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.